0: Hi, everyone. I'm Ekta Kapoor, and welcome to TV. Today, I'm talking to three visionaries who have set out to make the world a better place in their own ways. We're going to talk about why one needs to have a mighty heart to stand up for peace. My first guest today is my role model and mentor. Dr. Silla Elworthy. Dr. Silla is a peace builder, author, and the founder of the Oxford Research Group. Her work to develop effective dialogue between nuclear weapons policymakers and anti-nuclear groups earned her a Nobel Peace Prize nomination three times. She wrote the book, The Business Plan for Peace in 2017, which is now a nonprofit that supports societies and governments in how to prevent destructive conflict. During the pandemic in 2020, she also wrote the book, Mighty Heart, which is what we will talk about today. So, hello, Dr. Silla, so happy to have you here.
1: Ekte, you are one of my role models, so I'm delighted to be here with you.
0: Thank you so much. And our next guest is Katar El Alawi. She's a trained lawyer, an intercultural mediator and coach. She has lived and worked in five different cultures, and is committed to the idea of harmony and unity in the world. She's an expert in the field of transformation and she equips people with the tools for connection, understanding of self and others, and inner peace. So hi, Qatar, thank you for being here today. Hi, Ekta, thank you so
2: much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Our third and final guest is Ninka Van Bezujan, an international coach for public speaking and transformation. She's a licensed heart math math trainer and is co-initiator of the Building Bridges Movement, an international peace movement that's taking place in September, 2021 and on International Peace Day. So hello, Neenka, thank you for being here today. So wonderful to be here from the Netherlands.
3: Great being part of it.
0: So we'll start today's discussion with Dr. Silla. Dr. Silla, what are the key takeaways uh, from your book, Mighty Heart? And why did you decide to make this into a program that's starting next month?
1: We've been learning from peace builders in all different parts of the world, people facing really tough life and death situations. And we learned that those who are the most effective in calming and bringing about a resolution to conflict Are those who have done what we would call the inner work. In other words, they have looked at their own fear, they've examined their own anger, they've really um, introspected, they looked inside, either in meditation or in yoga or in different disciplines, to um, recognize what an individual is. Thinking and feeling when they are in a very tough situation. Because what we know is that until we've recognized our own fear and our own anger and our own self doubt as well, we are often handicapped in our fundamental standing up against injustice. Sometimes, at the very key moment when we need to be able to speak the truth, we hesitate or we um, feel our self-critic having a go at us and so the more we can grow up and grow out in our strength the more effective we can all be every single one of us in preventing the destructiveness of conflict whether it's armed conflict whether it's family feuds whether it's community disagreement all the things that are coming up with the COVID crisis all over the world now need people with these inner skills to be able to deal with them without making the problem worse.
0: What is, the, what is going to be the, uh, you know, your plan for the program that's starting in September?
1: Well, we offer a 10-module program and it's designed to start with where you are as a person who's concerned about some conflict, whether it's local or, or global or national. And so we ask people some, three questions to find out what they're really passionate about, because it's where our passion is that the energy is for change. For example, if a, if a 19-year-old is really concerned about wounded animals, that's where their passion is. If uh, somebody in their early thirties is really concerned about refugees as a result of war-torn societies, that's where their passion is. And it's that deep caring that we have for the things that break our heart where the energy is for change. So that's where we start. And then we progress weekly, one module per week, and we deal with things like, um, how good are we at listening? Because almost everybody thinks they're really good at listening and most of us are not. Most of us are thinking what we're gonna say or thinking up something that argues with the person or whatever, instead of really listening. And when we learn to be d- deeply listen, to the extent that we could feed back to the other person what they've just said. That's the secret to the resolution of conflict because when an angry, bitter person has been truly heard and even fed back what they've already said, that's the way that they begin to calm enough that they can listen to the other point of view. So that's the second point, Joe. And I'll just tell you about one other because they're all very exciting modules Uh, and that's the one on the inner critic, because if you ask a room full of people, is there anyone in this room who does not have an inner critic, nobody raises their hand, everybody has that voice that sits on their shoulder and says you're not doing very well, you didn't do that, I mean you could do a lot better than that or criticizes us, sometimes late at night, and we're often, even people at the very top of their profession, great generals and bureaucrats and diplomats are hounded by what they call the imposter syndrome. They think they are an imposter, they'll be found out. So what we do is to enable people through a very, uh, very convincing and quite daring exercise how to confront and eventually make an ally of our inner critic. When you complete the 10 module course, including all the exercises that we give you, we put people in groups where they can discuss these things in a threesome over the weekend. Um, And we give people homework to do with a lovely exercise book. That they can fill in their own responses to all these issues and we bring you right through to the end of the course which is like uh, enabling you to see how you can be in service to the planet and to your own community instead of if you if the mantra of last century was what can i get the mantra of this century has to be what can i give so the, the planet needs us to be doing exactly what you're doing, Ekka, what Qatar is doing, what Nienka is doing, is putting ourselves in service of um, the resolution of conflict.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. And I'm really looking forward uh, to joining this course next month. I think it's going to be one of the highlights of my year 2021. Uh, I'll go now to uh, Nienka. Um, So, Ninka, you're a co-facilitator at the Mighty Heart Program. So can you tell us a little bit about it and what's the kind of work that you're looking forward to achieving through this? Well,
3: uh, when I I read the book Mighty Heart First, I knew there was so much to it. I recognized such a lot. And what I, I really loved is just going through the 10 weeks myself when we did the first course Um, I've done a lot of, so to quote, personal work, inner work quite a lot, but this this program is so beautifully built to go through deeper layers, deeper layers, and, and unpeel the hidden parts, that at the end, I really felt even stronger that I can be at service for for peace. And I'm, I always say I'm born a mile away from the International Peace Palace. And I've been hiding my contribution um, for peace for a long time. But I'm really, really um, strengthened to step up. And as a speaker coach, I always say I provide the world with a voice. So, how about the voice of peace? And I can say I took a stand. Or peace during this course, so that's what I got out of it. And as a f- co-facilitator, it's such a, a joyful, beautiful experience to be with the participants and to to see their growth, their their questions, their 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 whole journey, and and at the end, see transformed people. So. Um, yeah, it's wonderful just to to be a co-facilitator uh, with Qatar and and Dr. Silla just to to make it work for so many others because I feel this work is so deeply needed in the now now more than ever. So yeah, I'm looking forward.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I have I have I have a couple of questions, but I'll come back to you after I speak to Qatar. Um, so Qatar, coming to you, uh, you're also a co-facilitator in the program, so how did you get involved and what is your vision for this?
2: Well, I got involved in the program because last year I reached out to Dr. Silla to interview her about the link between inner work and leadership outcomes. And that came together from years of uh, doing the inner work myself and supporting others in doing their own inner work. And I just started noticing um, these patterns of when people, and especially leaders, do their inner work, they really move to a space of leadership from service. And it's such a more empowered place, such a stronger place where they're able to be responsive instead of reactive. And they lean into this space of um, really taking time to create the alignment that creates effortless action and aligned action. And seeing that and coming on to the course myself, I did the course with Dr. Silla afterwards uh, in the first one. And there was just such a um, level of alignment between the work that I do, everything that I believe in. I had myself taken a stand for peace along with Nienka, uh, that year before. And when I was asked to get on the course and to be a facilitator, it just It just clicked. It made so much sense. It was just the right next step for me. Uh, And of course, it was such an honor and a privilege to be along with Dr. Silla doing this work with the Business Plan for Peace and with Nienka. And from there, my vision for this work, it's really I think everyone needs this work, to be honest. I think it needs to be embedded in our schooling system at a very young age. But looking at the critical time that we are in today, Ekta, and in, in just the history of uh, humanity, we are at such a critical threshold. I think it's important that this work reaches places of high impact. Our leaders are exhausted, constantly reacting to what's happening in the world. And I think it's critical that they be provided with a space that can support them to find their own inner power, their own center, their own place of peace within, so that they can respond to everything that's happening in the world constantly, instead of just being taken in the whirlwind of everything that's happening all the time. And so I really hope this work reaches leaders in high places where it's most needed.
0: And also, Qatar, you've lived for three years in India. So uh, I can you can you tell a little tell me a little about that experience and what do you find um, you know similar and different with the other cultures you've lived in? Yeah, well, India was a beautiful experience, and for me
2: personally, it was a very deep journey of finding myself, uh, of exploring who I am. Um, I got certified as a coach in India. Um, I'm affiliated with Leadership That Works India, which is a coaching school. And I really, for the first time in India, found a group of people who were committed to living their values and who were having a real impact on their communities, living from a place of alignment Um, and also exploring the diverse spiritual beliefs that exist and coexist in India. Uh, For me, coming from Morocco where there was also diversity it just I just found it such a natural place to figure out how do we create harmony? And what is it that creates this connection as well? And so India for me personally was just a place of exploration of uh, putting the dots together, if I can say it that way, really. Um, and it was, of course it is different from any culture I've been in. It has such rich diversity more than any other place I've visited or I've lived in and I think that's truly the beauty of India I think that's the gift of India it's that just diversity in everything uh, beliefs and you know people like from so many different um, backgrounds so many languages in India it it's just beautiful to to experience that diversity
0: yeah my, my husband and I speak different languages and different mother tongues and I don't even understand his language. So we only communicate in English. (laughs) (laughs) That's yeah, there is a lot of diversity, that's for sure. We we, we make our peace with each other's cultures. Uh, That's that's true. That's true. Uh, Nienka, you talked about um, inner transformation. uh, And I think uh, that's a very important theme even uh, for the program. And uh, generally also, I think when it comes to uh, creating impact in the world, uh, a lot of uh, people, including Dr. Silla, have made this point again and again that without the inner transformation, uh, you know, uh, it's it's going to be tough. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so would you like to talk about your experience in that, Nienka, in um, you know, working with people and with organizations?
3: Yeah, yeah. What I what I noticed there's so much buzz in in how people brand themselves, connect um, on social media without depth and from impulsive actions. Um, I can see a lot of, of trouble happening also very much in leadership. So what I experience in doing the inner work is the calmness and the, the clarity of mind. And I, I will share a snippet uh, of what happened to me, because two years ago I was diagnosed with a benign uh, uh, brain tumor, and I became deaf on one side. So the inner work is the silence, and the more deaf I became, the better I could hear, and that's also because of the mighty heart, because if you really look what's going inside you, there's such more clarity in the ear you can have for others. And without a listening to others, it's not going to work. But if your own inner voice is shouting over you over and over again, um, it's, it's difficult to make that impact. So knowing yourself first is so critical um, before you can really be in service of others. And, yeah, that's important. And I got very much encouraged by Dr. Siller's work because she wrote another book, Inspiring the Possible. And in there, um, she describes also that she had some brain issues uh, when she was in South Africa. So that was really bonding, so we understood. And to make it work, it's it's if you understand that you, you come from a place of clarity within, or at least have the tools to clear yourself, the impact on others is bigger. Um, and, and that's what we
0: need. Uh, I'm finding it uh, so, uh, you know, it, it's not, I think nothing is a coincidence, but uh, I'm going through a, a vision loss in one eye these days. And uh, it's a kind of a, it, it's a situation that I'm trying to come to terms with. And like you're talking, you just talked about how you need to do the inner work. I've been doing a lot of inner work. Yeah. Uh, I think I went through the five stages of grief. I went through the denial, the anger, and, you know, so i gradually coming to the acceptance part. And uh, you talked about hearing your inner voice. And I think for me, it's my vision. Um, yeah,
3: you uh, have a clear vision. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure. <laughs> There's one more thing I would love to say, because when you did the introduction, you said uh, Dr. Silla is your role model. And, and I think Katar and I can both say, oh, she was a, a real role model uh, in the educations we did. But there comes a point when you know yourself really well and you've done the work, you become an ally because a role model is nice. You now, it's someone t- you can be inspired by, but how about for all your viewers, get to the next level and become an ally of your role model because we can't live by role models only. We have to step up. If we do our work and you will have a clear vision and I will hear, and we all have our different ways of getting there, but just becoming an ally with your role model, that's what we need. So it's not someone to put on a pedestal, but just to connect and be with, because otherwise your role model doesn't have extra wings to fly. And that's why I'm so committed to be with with Scylla and and the team, you know, together we make
1: it work. And that's what I really want to highlight for your viewers. Yeah. Oh, Nienke, I'm so glad you said that. Um, It's so important because we haven't got time for any hero worship in this work. We need to know that we're all standing shoulder to shoulder and helping each other understand better all the time. So it's a very uh, sisterly and brotherly, but sisterly particular uh, in in the way we work together. Thank you.
0: And and actually Dr. Silla, you also talked about how the first uh, uh, part of the program is about uh, each person has their own calling, right? So there are as many uh, you know peace plans that can be made in the world as there are people because each person has their own particular uh, mission right that that's part of the what, what you have developed
1: yes yeah. and, and especially people realize that when they can align themselves with their soul path which which is the the path that they're why they were born the path that they, their soul wants to follow when we can allow ourselves to get on that path, even if it doesn't at first align with our source of income or our work, but if we can put our passion behind that path, it makes us happier human beings, but also far more useful to the planet in this present, very, very difficult period we're passing through.
0: Yes, that's right. Katar, you were saying something. Yeah, I
2: was gonna say that also part of this work is doing it in community. And we do have a community that is forming with the mighty heart where we come together. um, And it's all a part of that stepping up that Nienka was talking about and becoming an ally. And so it's a community that's already connected around the shared purpose and where we have tools to support each other and we keep supporting each other's and growing our visions. And I think that's such a critical component and beautiful component of discourse and the community that Dr. Silla is creating for this work.
0: You also talked about uh, the idea of effortless action. Uh, Would you like to expand on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's um, the idea of effortless action actually came to me just through noticing with clients that we have this tendency to want to force outcomes, this tendency to try to get outcomes from our mind because we're conditioned for that. And God knows I've myself done that so many times. (laughs) And yet what I found, Ekta, is that when we actually pause, instead of going to frantic action, precisely at the moment when we feel most um, lost, confused, unclear, If instead of moving into action, we pause and we take time for that introspection that Dr. Silla was talking about, the inner work, something happens that when we're ready for action, when we connect with our intuition and we know the right path, there is often a simplicity in putting it in action that our mind would never fathom. And that's what I call effortless action. Um, And also, Usually the right allies come to us just through some synchronistic events. And so that path of effortless action is so much more than, so much easier than our mind would ever know, so much simpler, and yet so counterintuitive to the way we do things right now. Uh, And that's a beautiful thing that leaders can step into, because in the long term, it actually makes their own jobs and their own life and decisions a lot easier and puts them in flow.
0: I think also the pandemic has really changed the way people are working, connecting, uh, the way they're leading. Uh, So it's, you know, I think even organizations must have realized that uh, just uh, having a list of rules uh, and having your employees sitting in the office the whole day doesn't mean that they're more productive uh, when a lot of people can achieve the same thing or even more at home. So, I mean, that's just one example. But then there are so many other ways that rules are being redefined, rules of, Work mm-hmm. the rules of the way families are functioning, uh, the way governments are functioning. Uh, you know, free mm-hmm. speech. Uh, the questions of um, you know what is what what is free speech, and uh, mm-hmm. you know where does where does respect for another human being come in there, and uh, and where does also uh, the liberty uh, to really stand up to your government. Uh, you know, so that all these uh, questions are now coming up during the pandemic. So uh, would you like to talk, uh, uh, Qatar, about Uh, about this question, especially since you've lived across so many different cultures and you must have noticed these nuances. Yeah,
2: I mean, there are so many. And for me, I always say context is everything. And working really below the surface is what really matters. And so as much as there is what is above the surface that we all can look at and start to judge, It's really in looking at what is this for me? What is my relationship to this experience? What is my relationship to this rule? And then from there, finding our own center with that. And that's when we can start to create change and creating it from allowing others to also find their own center. That's true leadership. But when we're imposing uh, rules on everyone, just by the fact that it's everyone, there's already something oppressive in it because each person has their own different needs, their own different um, uh, alignment, if we can call it that. And so it's important to really create a model that's holistic and that takes into account the differences. Um, in in the diversity field, there's often conversations about acknowledging our differences. And I think it's important that we bring that along with the universality because it is an end, it's not an either or we are both the same and different. And it's important to start to recognize that. And it takes a lot of um, refined, I would say, thought and effort to be able to bring that together into new models. It's a lot more complex than we can come up with, I think in a half hour conversation, but certainly starting to ask the questions and starting to look at what are the core skills that allow us to get there is absolutely critical for our time.
0: Uh, Nienka, would you like to add to that, about the idea of uh, inclusivity and peace?
3: Yeah, what I, what I see, it's um, we have been living in, in, let's say, a patriarchal world for such a long time. Uh, you can call it masculine, feminine, um, left brain, right brain, it doesn't really matter the angle you take. But we need to come from a perspective what's more in flow and coming from a mighty heart than it's just the rules for the sake of the rules. And that's what I see in peace building as well. And uh, I come back to the listening. Uh, if you know how to listen to self, you can listen to others, you can listen to the world. And then it's easier to contribute to peace. Because if we don't have the skill to listen deeply to what all is going around, and we, we're not able to access that that spot of stillness within ourselves, it makes it harder. And judgments sneak in, judgments to self, judgments to others, judgments to other worlds. You know, like Qatar lived in so many continents. I didn't. And no, I see a lot. It's Our world is so judgmental, uh, and we need to, to bridge that. And, and that's why if we all, like Katar said, in, in education, young people, but also our policy makers, our politicians, would only go through the skills of the mighty heart, the world would look differently. I'm
0: convinced. Right. We should all go for the mighty heart course. Uh, Dr. Silla, would you like to add uh, your comments there, maybe the closing comments for today's session?
1: Yes, I'm just delighted that and Katar mentioned this question of right brain and left brain intelligence. Because we know that the left brain is very good at calculating, measuring, defining a path, being determined, getting things done. The right brain has this extraordinary capacity to see the whole picture. And that means including all the marginalized, all the people who get forgotten because they're not important. And this is why the right brain ability, our ability to use our right brain and see the whole picture enables us to really put compassion into action. Because compassion is always thought of as something nice to have. But compassion in action means that we take um, a, a series of steps to make sure that the marginalized and those who are homeless, those who are really in a bad situation, get care and get help. And we think so much at the moment of how India is struggling with COVID and how huge numbers of people have not yet been able to be vaccinated, uh, how much need there is, and how much hardship. And when we are able to access the right brain that sees this big picture, then we're we're able to work out what we can do to, um, to meet these problems. And that, to my way of thinking, means a currency of compassion a currency in the sense of putting money behind compassion. In my country, in the UK, carers, people who look after sick people and old people are the least well paid in the country. They should be far better paid because it's the most demanding, difficult, sometimes dangerous work. And if people all over the world were incentivized by serious money, to make it worth their while to to give their time to looking after and helping those that are their neighbors or near neighbors, then we would have a very different world rather than pouring astonishing amounts of, really obscene amounts of money into weaponry and into trying to uh, use a war to resolve a problem like Iraq, like Afghanistan, like Syria. All these wars have failed in what they set out to do at the cost of trillions of dollars and many thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost. Whereas if we had used the skills of the mighty heart in those situations, we would have a very much more peaceful world by now. So that means why people at all levels of society and we are now introducing these courses into the training of soldiers into the training of leaders into the training of politicians that they can pick up these skills and get them in their dna if you like into their bloodstream then they'll use them throughout their lives and make far better decisions instead of just mm, you know going for what makes the most money or what looks well in the media we need the whole human race needs to make a leap in our perspective and our consciousness, and it's up to—I think—it's very much up to us women to make sure that that happens.
0: But you know, so you've done so much work uh, with governments, and uh, you've worked in, uh, especially with nuclear—you uh, know, nuclear arms. Um, why haven't? Uh, why hasn't humankind uh, uh, incentivized or uh, rewarded? Uh, people who uh, love and give, and why have we made it so lucrative to hate and kill?
1: I'm I'm afraid, I don't want to be sexist about this, but the fact is that most of the people who have risen to power in our societies are male, and they've been reared, many of them, on legends and stories and history and a, a personal experience that might is right, that being having the most weaponry or the most money or the most influence is what makes a person worthwhile. Um, and that has led to chaos. Basically, if you look at what's happening in Kabul, in Afghanistan right now, it's this kind of chaos that it leads to, that kind of thinking. It will never work. So that has to be replaced um, by a very serious, very determined, methodological way of instilling the kind of skills we've been talking about for 45 minutes and that you so beautifully support like in your magazine Is She and in all your gatherings. Um, I, I will do everything I can to support your work because I believe you're right on track with what you're doing.
0: Thank you so much. And I do hope, uh, I'm looking forward to having you with us at the South Asia Union Summit uh, next month. Uh, that's also part of the work that's been inspired by, by you, actually. And uh, so it's, it's Ishii's contribution to, uh, you know, giving a platform for women's leadership from South Asia. So I'm really happy that uh, you're on board with that as well, and we have your blessings for that. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, Nyanke, Kautar, uh, Dr. Silla. And I hope, you know, the Mighty Heart course, of course, a lot of people have already signed up for it. And I'm looking forward to being there myself. Uh, and I hope everything goes great for you all. And if you want to share anything, uh, yeah, please go ahead.
1: Well, I want to say we're proud of you, I'm really proud of you the work you're doing. And I'm thrilled that you are joining our course. And I hope you'll bring many of your uh, leadership colleagues with
0: you. Thank you. So thank you. I would, I love, I, yeah. I would just
3: love to say, uh, we start on the 7th of September, just to, to let the people know, okay, you know, you've still time to register. Um, we start on the 7th and we run for 10 weeks. And uh, I would love to have many of, of your part of the world as well, because we do it all
0: together as, as Dr. Silla said. Yes. Katar, any last words?
2: (laughs) Thank you very much, Ekta. It's been a pleasure to be with you. And we definitely look forward to having many, many women and potentially men as well, because the course is open to both. Uh, Join us on September 7th. I, I really think we need people from everywhere right now, whoever feels called to do this work.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you all. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you very much. And the details about the course are in the article below. So please click on the links and do join. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you you for watching. Visit us on ishi.in and like and follow us on Ishi World.